0: The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. And welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's June 15th, the time is 4, 4.43, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Marissa Jordan.
1: And I'm Ian Grice. It's a nice Wednesday afternoon, if not a little hot, as it's 90 degrees. Uh, later in the show, we'll have the community calendar, and as always, Jake Winters brings you Snow Rated. This week, he reviews the film The Usual Suspects.
0: Our newest contributor, matt mandy butch has an update on the College World Series. But first, Ian Grice reports on the North Carolina Democratic Convention.
1: North Carolina Attorney General Roy Cooper and candidate for U.S. Congress Deborah Ross spoke at the North Carolina Democratic Convention held at the McKimmon Center and Tally Student Union June 11th. More than a 1,000 people attended the convention where the North Carolina Democrats finalized the party's platform and elected 43 delegates that will be going to the National Democratic Convention in July to choose the party's nominee. 70 delegates had been elected at the district conventions May 21st. The convention was heated at times and there were many amendments to the party platform. The delegates were resolute in bringing a liberal voice to the state government. Both Senator Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton supporters were in the audience with buttons and apparel showing allegiance to their candidate, and there were two cutouts of Hillary Clinton in the audience. During the Jefferson-Jackson dinner after the convention, Roy Cooper, who will be running for governor in November, spoke along with Linda Coleman, who will be running with him for lieutenant governor. Cooper said he is running against McCrory to become the North Carolina governor. Cooper spoke on public education, the economy— and Governor McCrory's tax policy at the dinner. Cooper compared Donald Trump and Governor McCrory and said that McCrory put his divisive social agenda above jobs and schools with the signing of House Bill 2.
2: And we're seeing that Governor McCrory and Donald Trump are a lot alike. They both use this divisive rhetoric as a political tool to try to divide us. Governor McCrory, when, when Donald Trump made these racist comments about the judge, Governor McCrory just simply doubled down on his support for Donald Trump.
1: Cooper's opponent, Governor Pat McCrory and Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, accepted his party's nomination for his re-election at the North Carolina GOP convention back in May. Coleman introduced Cooper as her running mate and said that they would build a strong North Carolina that would work for everyone.
2: Donald Trump, Pat McLaurin, and Dan
1: Forrest will continue to promote an ideological agenda that
3: does not reflect our values. We
4: cannot and will not let that happen, right?
1: Deborah Ross, who will be running against Senator Richard Burr, introduced herself to the audience. And spoke on the strengths of the Democratic ticket in North Carolina.
4: I think this is the best Democratic slate
3: we have had in a long time. From the top of the ticket all the way down to the bottom, we've never been stronger here in North Carolina. And whether it's the governor's mansion, the North Carolina Supreme Court, or the U.S. Senate, we have some folks who
1: have overstayed their welcome, and now it's time for a change. Ross also spoke on increasing the minimum wage and supporting veteran programs. The party platform planks cover topics including agriculture and aquaculture, children and families, consumer protection, substance abuse protections, civil justice, security, law enforcement, and many more. The delegates also discussed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, Israeli and Palestinian statehood, amending charter schools out of the language, and appealing the right-to-work laws. In May, during the North Carolina Republican Convention, the party had recently removed Chairman Hassan Harnett from his job, and Donald Trump had just become the presumptive party candidate. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice.
3: Regionals of the College World Series took place over the weekend. 16 teams battled it out in eight three-game series in hopes to punch a ticket to Omaha, Nebraska. Florida claimed the eighth and final spot on Monday, beating Florida State in a game three winner-take-all. Miami beat Boston College and are heading to the College World Series for their second consecutive trip, but you have to give credit to Boston College. They weren't even expected to make it out of Regionals. We're talking about a university that didn't even win one ACC game for their football and basketball team last year. ECU took down the nationally number one-ranked team, Texas A&M, and will be making their fourth trip to Omaha in six years. Texas Tech pulverized ECU in the final game of the series, winning game 3-11 a zip. ECU hung around through this tournament, however. They beat the reigning champions, Virginia, to make it out of regionals and hit a grand slam to win game one against Texas Tech. Arizona is headed to Omaha after Mississippi State blew a 5-1 lead in game two, allowing Arizona to hit a three-run home run in the eighth, tied in the ninth, and then win it in the 11th inning. Oklahoma State advances after beating South Carolina in just two games. South Carolina scored 51 runs in regional, and Oklahoma State held them to just two for the entire series in Super Regionals, one run in Game 1 and one run in Game 2. Coastal Carolina, who took down NC State in regionals, were the upset against LSU as his Chanticleers won on a walk-off single to punch their first ticket to Omaha in school history. That should have been NC State in this series, but I don't want to talk about that. By far the biggest story of the weekend was University of California's Santa Barbara taking down Louisville, who was favored to win the World Series. The UC Santa Barbara Gauchos were down three zip in the bottom of the ninth with the bags full when pitch hitter Sam Cohen took closer Zach Birdie deep for a walk-off Grand Slam. If this wasn't crazy and excited enough, Sam Cohen is a freshman that had only 26 at-bats on the season in one home run. Meanwhile, the Chicago White Sox had just taken Zach Birdie in the first round of the draft last week. The most improbable ending happened, and that's what you have to love about it. Take a listen to the end of the game.
4: And the 1-2 coming up to Cohen. Here it comes.
2: Swung on and hits a deep right field. This one is down the line. This one is gone. The Gators have won the game. A walk-off. and straight by Sam.
3: A gaucho is an Argentinian cowboy, and I'm hoping they ride off into the sunset and are the ones hoisting the trophy at the end of the College World Series. I love me a good Cinderella story. Well, those are your eight teams heading to the College World Series in Omaha. Tune in next week to see what the world of sports will bring us next. This is Mandy Butchke with Eye on the Triangle.
2: Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye in the Triangle. This is Rated, and today we'll be taking a look at the film The Usual Suspects. The first thing that stuck out to me about this film when watching it was the viewpoint. It is limited omniscient, meaning it knows all, but only from a selected perspective. A lot of movies use this type of perspective because it allows the writer to confuse the audience with unimportant or irrelevant information and generally mislead. The usual suspects use it in a way to create a great climactic moment at the end, like most films, but its perspective was never clearly one or two people. Most of the time a story will follow one or two characters around and use them as a guideline for choosing what is known to the audience. The usual suspects use an investigation as its guideline. We get a glimpse of the actual crime in question at the beginning of the film, but then are taken to the viewpoints of the men being accused of the crime. This then changes to the investigative portion that is the rest of the movie, where there is actually no way to tell if what is being shown actually happened, because it is only one man's story of the events. The acting is without a doubt extremely well done. I was convinced by the performance of the man for the entire movie, and the ending was just shocking. I was so shocked by the ending that I am almost convinced that the actor actually did not know what was going to happen to his character, or what his character did until they got to the final scenes in the movie. The people chosen for the roles fit perfectly. I can't quite put into words why, but the attitudes of the men just fit their appearances so well that the dynamic of the main group of criminals worked spectacularly. There weren't any real cliches in the movie in terms of characters, besides a man coming out of retirement to go back into a life of crime, which really works itself out in the end to not be the case anyway. Using cliches to write a movie is not always a bad thing, but the fact that they left out many that inhabit the genre of criminal thrillers makes it all the more original and refreshing to see. If you need an example of cliches for a crime movie, look at The Italian Job. It's a great movie, but it follows a pretty obvious pattern. As I said before, this movie tells a lot of its story through visuals. In fact, the most unexpected part of the movie comes completely through visuals, which leaves you wondering if what you are seeing is actually what's happening. You have to pay attention to the story enough to understand what you are shown, and so in effect you are being rewarded for doing so. I love this way of concluding the movie because they never straight up tell you what happened, and you can only really guess, but everyone knows what happened overall. It leaves little details up to the audience to figure out. I'm going to give this movie a 7.5 out of 10. It tells the story through picture and not audio and has one of the best plots I have seen in a while. The reason I am giving it a lower score is because of its length. It went on for a little too long. I think maybe they wanted to draw the visuals so you know what you were seeing, but I think the effect would have been better if they left out a lot of the subtleties that were included. They do make the movie more interesting and give it character, but they also take away from the overall effect by making it tedious to watch at points. This movie, along with almost all of the other movies I have reviewed, are available on Amazon. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle and Snow Rated. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening.
0: You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. The time is 456 and I'm Marissa Jordan. In recent national news, early Sunday morning a shooting occurred at the Pulse, a gay club. In downtown Orlando. The shooter, Omar Mateen, shot 49 people and injured 53. This has been the deadliest mass shooting in the United States history. Mateen brought an assault rifle into the club around 2 a.m. and started shooting into the crowd. Mateen was killed in the three-hour police standoff. He was investigated by the FBI in 2013 and 2014, but was not found to be a threat either time. The shooter was a terrorist sympathizer, but there was no evidence that he was under any direct terrorist networks. However, his internet search history showed that he had recently googled jihadist propaganda. The LGBT community all across the world has been very supported, supportive of the Orlando gay community, coming together with the phrase, We stand with Orlando and pray for Orlando. Even President Obama has said, We stand with the people of Orlando and that this was an act of hate and an act of terror. The president continued by saying, we will not give in to fear or turn against each other. The president said, instead we will stand united as Americans and take action against those who threaten us.
1: I'm Ian Grice, and for this week's Community Calendar, this Saturday, June 18th, at the Exhibit Gallery in D.H. Hill, you can join Garden Rider and Ralston biographer, Bobby Ward for a guided tour of the NC State Library's exhibit, Plan and Plant for a Better World, at J.C. Ralston and the North Carolina State University Arboretum from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. The exhibit celebrates the life and work of innovative horticulturist and teacher J.C. Ralston and showcases his unique contributions to NC State, his students, and the many colleagues' nursery owners, landscape designers, and gardeners who learned and benefited from his patch network. The visually dynamic exhibit draws upon Ralston's rich archive of travel notebooks, lecture notes, ephemera, and correspondence, as well as a collection of over 88,000 color slides. Here's some of the fascinating stories behind the objects, images, and plant specimens introduced or promoted by Ralston and the Arboretum. Anyone interested in university history, horticulture, travel, or photography will enjoy exploring the life and times of this unique NC State leader. Bring your own JC story to share and document in our, in the colorful guest book. The NC State Libraries, which host the Ralston Papers and its Special Collections Research Center, has produced an 80-page full-color catalog to accompany the exhibit. I will say I have seen uh, some excerpts of slides and other uh, pieces of paper from, uh, that will be shown, and they are very interesting to see. Next Monday, June 20th, the Ackland Galleries in Chapel Hill will be hosting Yoga in the Galleries from 12 to 1 p.m. You can take a break from your day and explore the world of yoga in the beautiful settings of the Ackland Art Museum. The hour-long session is offered by registered yoga teacher Joanne Marshall, uh, who will provide an opportunity to practice a series of gentle yoga poses inspired by the art in the gallery. Beginners are welcome. Yoga mats are provided. And you should wear comfortable clothing that will allow you to stretch if you uh, go.
0: There will be a screening of Draft Day, a Thai film, and The Third Gender, a Mexican film, as part of UNC's summer documentary series from 2.30 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. These screenings are a part of a series hosted by the UNC Library. This summer meant to explore gender issues through documentary films. The showings will take place in room 205 of the R.B. House Undergraduate Library. These viewings are open to the public. There will be an opportunity for discussion at the end of each showing. In Thailand, all males turning 21 must participate in the military draft lottery. Drawing a black card grants exam- exemption. Drawing a red card results in two years of military service. Draft day follows two girls who were born as males as they participate in the drafting process. Mexico's third gender explores a celebration known as the Vigil of the Authentic Intrepid, Searches of Danger, which takes place in the city of Oxaca in Mexico every November. In this community of Zapotec indi- indigenous people, it is generally understood that there are men, there are women, and there are mushis. Mushis are born men, raised women, and live as women all their lives. The vigil or vila is the most important event of the year for the mushis of Huixtlan, and as one of them is crowned queen during the festival. In this documentary, the filmmaker travels to Huixtlan to meet members of the third gender of Zapotec culture.
1: And that is it for the community calendar this week. Um, I think everybody is thinking about the Orlando uh, shooting, and it's important to remember that that was a...